You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Thank you, team. Thank you, Marzetta. There's really not much more I can say. I think Marzetta already gave the sermon. Um, But I will offer what I have. Um, And the kids, if there are kids in here that want to hang out upstairs uh, with some cool grown-ups like Hannah and Catherine and play, you're welcome to head up there now. And I forgot to mention the welcome lists. At the, they're somewhere at the end of the rows, and so if you wouldn't mind passing them, and just say hi to the, say hi to the person like that you pass it to with a little nod. Say hello. I want to talk today about how the resurrection of Jesus changes the narrative, the narrative of life in a really good way. Um, it reframes reality. In our difficult world, it changes the trajectory of where we, where we think and feel that things are going. And, and I'll admit that it's not, it's not necessarily intuitive to believe that life wins over death and that love is greater than hate and that grace is greater than sin. It's, it's not necessarily intuitive because we see a lot of evidence in our world to the contrary. And so we gather. One of the reasons we gather every week as a church is to, to receive again this truth from God that, that Marzetta was saying that, that um, we'll be okay if we stick with Jesus. That goodness and joy will have the last word. Let me pray for us again. Jesus, give us faith. Give us eyes and ears to see you, to be present to ourselves and to you even in this moment, to be still and know that you are God. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one of my top favorite movies is Life is Beautiful. Anybody, have, uh, anybody seen this? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, it's all about the power of reframing. And I want to talk about reframing here um, because this little family is sent to a concentration camp in Nazi Germany and the little boy is separated from his mom and um, the dad keeps up the little boy's hopes by playing this goofy game like in the middle of the concentration camp. Um, he shields his son from some from some of the trauma of life there by using his imagination to reframe what's going on around them. And I won't tell you the worst part of the of the end, but the best part is that the little boy is reconnected to his mom um, when the Allies win the war at the end of the movie, and and they both survive relatively unscathed um, by the the father's ability to reframe this horrible circumstance. If you've been to therapy, like I have, reframing is um, a technique that therapists use to help us like uh, 
get beyond our self-defeating habits. It's a way to try and redefine difficult circumstances in our lives as like not hopelessly crushing, but maybe opportunities for growth and learning. It can give it can give us a locus of control in situations where we might not otherwise feel where we might otherwise feel powerless. And a good therapist knows that reframing isn't just a cognitive exercise. It's not just a mind game. Um, it, it's not just the power of positive thinking and pop psychology. It has to connect to the emotions. It really it has to connect to the heart to be a good reframe. Like it has to connect to our feelings. Um, because that's what really motivates human beings to change our thoughts and behaviors. So an effective reframe would be one that connects to our feelings. Like in Life is Beautiful, the dad is able to like keep, keep this up um, in the midst of great suffering because he loves his kid so much and he loves his wife. And I, you know, I wonder if love is the only thing that could make that could enable somebody to make such a, a drastic reframe. And we could say that the dad was just sticking his head in the sand, right, and avoiding the reality of, of the situation. But I wonder, is it avoidance? Or is it getting into a deeper and more penultimate reality that is love? Like, I wonder if it's, not, if it's not just a mind game, if you're connecting to what's really real. And that, and that is the goodness that we, we can't see the fullness of, of here yet, you know? But we can feel it. Eternity is in our hearts, like the Bible says. The suffering is real, but the love is real too. And, and that love, the love of God, provides something to the experience of suffering that speaks into it and brings hope. I love when people call the Holy Spirit the really real. Because I, I think our hearts know, know truth that our minds can't fully comprehend or make rational sense of, you know. That's why, like, all the most important stuff, like repentance and forgiveness and faith and love, it involves moving beyond the mind. The, the, the Bible word for it literally is metanoia, moving beyond the mind, you know, into our hearts and bodies where we can feel compassion for ourselves and others. It, it can't all be figured out up here. Um, no matter how smart we become, we're, we're, we're in the zone of mystery in faith um, because we're creatures as well as creators. We, we, didn't, make, we didn't make life up. It, it was given to us. And so the only way to know the most beautiful and sacred realities is through this humility and openness and gratitude. So that's what we're working on. And I think the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is like the ultimate reframe on life. Because if Jesus is God and he did rise from the dead after actually being dead for three days, if that's true... If the witnesses are credible and it, and it did really happen, then the trajectory of the whole universe is, is pointing to a whole new place. It's not just headed toward doom and destruction like we probably feel every day. 
it's, it's headed towards something else, probably something more wonderful than we can even imagine. When we first worshipped in this building, um, I, got a, I got a little sense of that expansive hope because, to be honest, I was a little nervous um, when we first got into this funeral home. And I hadn't expected it to be creepy to, because I already believed in the resurrection. I, ha I hadn't thought it would be creepy to buy a funeral home. But when we got in here, the place was trashed. And I could, like, I was hearing all these stories in the neighborhood of things that had gone on here and from the family who owned it. And I, and I could feel the weight of brokenness. Um, but when we first worshipped in this space... That, that first Sunday, my, my fear just flew away because I, I knew for certain in my spirit, from the Holy Spirit in all of you, that the love of God is greater than all the pain and evil in the world. It was a little window into the victory of the resurrection. So... I want to read the first, I want to read the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew with you here tonight um, because it shows this victory and how it resides in, in the places and the people in the world that, that, that the world would never expect. Those without worldly power know this truth. Um, and, and that needs to be the identity of Jesus' church the poor and lowly, the unexpected, the discredited, empowered by the Spirit of God. Anybody want to read this first part to us out loud if you can see it? I'll hand you the mic so our friends on Zoom can hear you too. Lucille. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So, this is so exciting. It, and it all happens on the first day of the week, which I think seems to me like no accident that this new reality descending upon the world, this new hope opening up, um, happens in the beginning. Like, almost like God wants us to build our weeks and our lives upon this reality. And Matthew starts out this chapter with a word 
um, that just encompasses the promise of our lives, I think, as Jesus followers. Epiphosco, which means grows toward the dawn. I just love that. As the hours were growing toward the dawn, the women were growing toward the dawn. I think, I think we grow, grow toward the dawn. That's this, that's this movement that is, that is actually happening. We're headed toward the opening of a new day. There was unfinished business in Jesus' burial process. That's why the women are going there. They didn't get to prepare Jesus' body as they would have liked. And so they're being faithful to their their grief. They're, They're facing their grief on this early morning with love. They're not hiding. They're attending to it. They're feeling their sadness. They're moving in love. I think that's all part of growing toward the dawn. And when they get to the tomb, they see an angel sitting on top of the stone. And what a sign of victory and triumph. Even though this picture of this little lady angel doesn't look capable of rolling a stone away, um... That is what happened with that earthquake. Did you catch that in the scripture? Like there was, the earth, there wasn't just like a random earthquake that like shook the stone away. The angel caused the earthquake with his coming. The angel of the Lord broke the power of death. The extra cords of ego and greed that the religious leaders and the government powers had sealed up the tomb with so that they could keep controlling their little traditions and systems. The angel of the Lord snapped it open and rolled away the giant, the giant stone that enclosed the tomb, and now it was open, and the angel was sitting on top of the stone. What triumph. Life over death, freedom over oppression, joy over despair, courage over fear the fullness of humanity unleashed. And I think it's so ironic that the guards who were, who came to protect death are now lying on the ground like corpses while Jesus runs free. And Jesus comes to the women and he says, hello. And they, they clasp his feet where the wounds are and he, his, he's so real that they're able to embrace his body. And he, and he sends them to tell the others. And what's really wild, you know, beyond G- Jesus being alive after being crucified and buried for three days, is that in every account of the resurrection in all four Gospels, and all the accounts are different, but in every single one, it's the women who are, who are told first. Jesus comes first to the women. They are, they are his shaliahim, or the, the apostles or the agents that are, that are sent to tell the others. And that's really wild because Jewish culture did not esteem the testimony of women. And it was literally enshrined in Roman law that women 
women's testimony meant nothing in court or culture. And so, why would Jesus choose these pawns of the system to be the agents of the revolution? And I think we know why. It's, it's because this is not a revolution like the world has known. It's not fought with regular weapons and systems of power and hierarchy. It's, it's won by serving and by giving. It's won by love, by, by seeing with a new lens, by reframing all that we see and know here. The poorest and most discredited, the ones who are invisibilized and not valued by the empire, the most empty but the most wholehearted, those humble people bear the greatest gift because they look to God for hope. And that's the revolution and the reframe of identity that we need. I felt a little bit of that walking to my cell meeting this week. Um, Pedro and I are multiplying our cell. And I was, I was walking there through the neighborhood, like fearing that we didn't have a, a good enough plan on paper yet. And as I walked, I heard somebody, I, I heard somebody yell, hey, pastor, which I don't usually hear. And um, here it was somebody that I met at a wedding a couple of weeks ago. And someone else was there with them and asking me questions about faith. And I just got this direct message from God in that moment. Like, this thing, you, God's going to provide. Stop worrying about, like, whatever. These connections of love are the underground movement of the church. This is a movement of the spirit. And our cell made a good plan with the, with the great people that we have. And it was, it was a resurrection reframe for me that this is really, we might feel like we got nothing, but this is really going toward more abundance than we can see. So let's keep reading. Um, this is the last last half of the chapter. There's really three parts to this chapter. The testimony of the women, the testimony of the guards, and then the testimony of the church. Anybody else want to read? Karina? The guards report. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey 
everything I have commanded you. And surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. Matthew 28. So, the guards who had been on the ground, like, like corpses in fear, had really failed. They, they really did a bad job, right? They had failed in their mission. They were supposed to keep this tomb sealed, and Jesus' dead body in there, but none of the powers of the world were any match for the life-giving, or are any match for the life-giving power of God. And instead of being transformed by that power, the guards are thinking about their jobs and they're really invested in the systems of the world. And so they participated in a plan to reframe God's reframe. Lies needed to be invented to cover up the truth of the resurrection. And and those lies have multiplied and continued to shield people from this truth to this day and so I think the job of the church our job is to uncover the truth of the all-surpassing mercy and power of God to bring life to the most entombed places it really does seem for, for the church at that time for the disciples it really did seem too good to be true too and so some of them are still doubting you can see in that final moment there with Jesus they're like still struggling to believe this and so Jesus makes a point to leave them with this assurance that all authority in heaven and on earth is given to to me to Jesus Just think about that for a second. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus. And so we're instructed to move, to move in that authority, assuring others of his presence and authority. So I was asking myself, like, what does this look like in our daily lives? You know, when I walk to the corner of Snyder Ave, right down here, I, and I see people in the grip of addiction. I, I wonder about the authority of Jesus. Like, where is it there on Snyder Ave? You know, these, these folks are enslaved by fentanyl, trank, chemical drugs that are, that are sucking their own authority out of their systems. And so how do we apply the authority of Jesus there to, to free them from the tomb of addiction? I think one thing we can do is point, point to the open tomb. We can't save anybody. Only God can. One thing we can do is point to the open tomb through our open door. When I was coming to our building here yesterday, I saw a woman pulling, pulling on our locked door, uh, trying to open it. She was looking for an AA meeting on Saturday night, and we have them throughout the other nights of the week. Um, and we explained that there are meetings on other nights of the week and um, invited her to come back here for tonight. It's the love of God among us, I think, that might show the way out of the tomb. Charlie's going to offer a Narcan training um, 
for us next week. But this consistent love and teaching about the way of Jesus, demonstrated in real hearts and bodies, I think is where the authority of Jesus resides and spreads, not just in us, but in believers all over, all over the city, all over the country. And that's what I first, that's what I sensed when we first worshiped here in this building five years ago, um, that it hit me that all authority has been given to Jesus, no matter how strong evil may masquerade to be. The evil that we saw in Buffalo last week was breathtakingly real. I'm still coming to that tomb in my grief in the wee hours of the morning. And I keep recalling the way our friends um, from the Roots of, from Roots of Justice introduced the anti-racism training that some of the members of our leadership team took part in um, last month. And they called it, they did this exercise with us and they called it the sea of resistance. And um, it was like a resurrection reframe for me because I realized that, that sometimes I feel like racism and the evils of the world are the sea. And like our resistance is the little, you know, measly icebergs that, that poke out. But what they were saying was that racism and the evils of the world are these icebergs. And they were asking us to kind of, to identify particular moments in history um, where, it's, where it's been, and now, where it's been expressed. And then in the sea, all around these icebergs, to name the moments of resistance in us and throughout history. And it was, um, it was eye-opening for me because I, I, it helped me to recognize that I often feel overwhelmed and I, and I act as if evil's the sea and our acts of resistance are the little exceptions to the rule. You know, it can feel like our little efforts to cultivate freedom and love are just not good enough, right? But Jesus was speaking to me through these leaders to say that he is the rule. He is the sea, and we are in him, all of us, in the midst of all we face. And so I'm here to remind us today that Jesus, Jesus made a new rule with his rising, that we grow toward the dawn, that the angel caused the earthquake and was sitting on top of the stone, in triumph. I think we need to remember this in our struggle for justice and our struggle to be present to that word from God that Marzetta was telling us to be still and know the battle was won and this means that we will rise too. All authority in heaven on earth is given to Jesus and that is the last word. The arc of the universe is bending toward wholeness and new life, no matter how hard things are in between. And the bearers of this mystery, the witnesses of the miracle, are the ones that the world would never expect. They're the children, the outcasts, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the ones who are knocked around and don't fit into any categories. Just like Jesus said, 
Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from powerful know-it-alls, and you've revealed, you've revealed the truth of the resurrection to ordinary people. They know the truth, like Jesus said. They hold the keys to this new kingdom. Let me pray for us. Jesus, help us to believe you on this, even when it's, when it's hard to see. Help us to be still, to know it in our hearts, where I think we already know it. Empower us for the work that is ours to do. Give us ways to see and love each other fully. Thank you for this, this time and this, this vision of you leading us into a new day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.